Hello everyone. Welcome to this fourth edition of Clarity Chat podcast. I have with me Dr. Boris Pivinger, head of global IT portfolio and innovation and Austria IT head at Autobahn. a world leader in prosthetics and orthotics in today's session he's going to talk about the diverse stories from consulting managing organization change effective partner relationships it leadership to cio and cdo relationship at autobock he will also share something esoteric discovering apnea diving you will surely be googling that as you hear this podcast this is the fourth episode of clarity chat and here comes an exciting discussion with dr boris Welcome Dr. Boris to the Clarity Chat. Thanks for having me. Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only 3 decades old but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success, to help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively. to help you manage change better to help you attract talent you get this clarity via experiences of cios and business leaders shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea welcome to the clarity chat podcast so dr boris welcome to this experience sharing decoding the art of finding roi with technologies uh, please share uh, your life story with us uh, you know calling out key inflection points which revealed to you the first principles of creating success yeah well actually w- what did me uh, take on that journey here so um, maybe i'll i'll start uh, in school time when for the longest time i was very much convinced i would study uh, economics and law and move into a banking career but somehow towards the end of my school time i had a fantastic math teacher in school which uh, is probably exceptional because most aren't that's uh, that uh, convincing and and he said something which uh, i i really took over for myself he said i practice mathematics for the sake of understanding and i think this is a very powerful state and it's it's probably as abstract as mathematics itself but it makes you really feel what mathematics is all about so that's why i then decided okay i should better go into a direct action which uh, suits my personal type of thinking so so i i went into mathematics more specifically i ended up in mathematical logic or even more specific in axiomatic set theory which is probably as pure in mathematics as it gets in other words that put me very deep or high however you see that in the ivory tower so uh, i i really felt being in that ivory tower so just to contrast that a little bit during my studies also studied some physics uh, which is definitely getting you a touch of the real world in some sense even though probably not that real as in the business but anyway so that was a little bit of contrast but also i spent a little bit of time in politics time i was uh, still living in germany and basically founded the very first virtual party organization in germany and there was uh, in a time there also 
work for a member of parliament then when the German parliament created the world's first internet law. So uh, that was uh, a very interesting time when technology really came uh, visible to the larger society. So a good time to be in politics. Um, I, I left it a few years later, but uh, I think that was a good experience, which also brought me a little bit uh, towards the IT topic. But then at some time, um, basically I, in the meantime, I had moved to Vienna uh, to do my PhD uh, there. Then I had to take a decision, should I stay in, in science for good or I do something else? And my decision was basically do the absolute U-turn, leave the ivory tower. And well, what do you do uh, if you have started pure mathematics, which means you have, if you wish, no clue about the real world and how you get basically uh, really the jump in the deep end of the business world. Well, you do management consult. So I did. I joined AT Carney and that was the right decision for me. I learned quite a bit. I've seen almost any industry out there in the world. I've seen very different functional topics, but also I embraced uh, what really defines AT Carney. And that is something the founder, Tom Carney, had said. Uh, he, he defined it as our success as consultants will depend upon the essential rightness of the advice we give and our capacity for convincing those in authority that it is good. And this principle of essential rightness is, I, I think, a very strong, uh, I think I follow that in all I'm doing. So uh, for me, it's super important, not only in my time as a consultant, but also now in IT management to really do the right things. So that's, you ask for defining moments, uh, well, not a moment in this point, but uh, more a general learning from, from the cultural. So I did that for a while. And at some points, well, after 14 years, uh, in, in my case, then it, it's uh, time to do the real thing. I mean, as a consultant, you get in, you do something, you get out before you see the results uh, materializing. And uh, that is something you want to have sooner or later for most people. And uh, in my case, it was late, but still there. So I decided that then to see if the grass is green on the other side. And so I moved into industry with Autobot, where I am today. And uh, I had developed the IT strategy. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, in, in a moment. Then started with the implementation of it and now moved on uh, to, to the IT portfolio and innovation part. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm today. And this is how I got there. Oh, no, that's that's great. And Dr. Boris, I'm like, I'm imagining, you know, you standing on top of an ivory tower and, you know, jumping deep, <laughs> you know, into the consulting. And then, you know, after swimming for a while, I said, no, I want to I want to go deeper and, you know, get the real pearls out of it. So, you know, go deeper into the business. Okay, so that's my, uh, you know, mind doing some visualization. But I really love the fact that, you know, I practice mathematics for the sake of understanding reflecting even i love mathematics and uh, you know my attitude also has been moving from one function to another and you know different challenges it has been more like you know why something happens you know so try to understand how the world works or how everything works and uh, coming back to mathem mathematics yeah i think that get, does instill that attitude in you so i'm just connecting that probably it was maths that uh, that did it to me as well and yeah you know i really like the outcome of own requirements 
recommendations and decisions owning owning those so let me uh, move then to the next part of our chat so dr boris you were a consultant for most of your life i'm sure you would have seen some customers engage you for driving phenomenal transformation and some customers where um, you could not deliver the value that you wanted to so what were the major differences that you found in the approach of your customers maybe just talk through you know one good experience and a bad experience and this is like you know i want to help our audience here understand you know how to leverage you know the experts and the consultants better yeah i i think really the the secret sauce of at carney uh, was really to be super hands on and immerse deep into an organization uh, and this differentiates carney from most of the other consultants so when we developed the it strategy for a chemical company we had literally spoken to every single business function they have much more to the business than we had talked uh, spoken with the it people and um so by doing so we made sure we really aligned um the outcome of our work already with all the key stakeholders in the organization just to avoid the not invented here syndrome which actually uh, kills um, a lot of consulting engagements out there in the world so i think that's that's the the secret sauce which made it very successful but if we look on okay when things don't go that well and honestly speaking that has been a super exception and uh, not a 50-50 or something i i do remember an engagement uh, with a cfo of a machine building company in that case just to cut it short that guy wanted us to just create justification for the decision already taken and not asking for the right or the essential rights you wish uh, advice here and uh, that really didn't work out that well and uh, we ended prematurely and uh, both sides have been happy with that so uh, that's i think uh, really uh, the stark contrast to to the typical situation where we managed to work with the org but also it is the element of taking your stand in the right time so um when you follow the the essential rightness sometimes you have to fight against some resistance and uh, some of them you have to accept i mean each organization is different and sometimes you need to accept that things are how they are and you can't change everything but there are those where you really need to to take that stand and um, I, i basically remember two situations both have been information security engagements interesting enough so they seem to be very enthusiastic here and one was when a middle management guy who was kind of offended by us being there in the first place um messing with his area of responsibility and he really called me out in front of his team of 20 plus people and um well i was pretty sure that our thoughts were right so there was really standing in the fire being grilled and saying come and let him burn down and and then basically make your point and at the end that earned us quite a bit of respect and uh, i think finally we could convince at least most of the team never expect to get everyone and the other example was with a cio in in such an engagement and uh, well even in in security engagements it can become operational and even though we didn't run the operations but we were essentially steering them there was a major incident guess what uh, he, he he badly grilled me and uh, i mean actually he was right <laughs> so what should i say so i i, I let him go and 
after several minutes, took forever, it felt, he basically calmed down a bit, but I con could convince him that we would fix the issue and we would have a plan to get out of the situation. And, and we did, actually. So uh, that's another thing where you have to basically uh, stand the heat and find a way to, uh, to define your way out and always be prepared for whatever happens and have a solution. And I think that's what you learn as a consultant. You always need to have a solution. Yeah. So I think, I think some good takeaways from this, for example, you know, you have to leverage the consultants for what they bring to the table and uh, not for not for pushing your agenda, in which case it is bound to fail because eventually what's most important is that whatever whatever you are doing, whatever you're bringing consultants for, you know, it has got some buy-in the organization. The other one I think is a is a example or is a good lesson for everyone. You know, when you talk that for building an IT strategy, you might many more business functions than IT itself. And I think that's, you know, the core of what I also spoke that, you know, IT needs to travel the entire length and breadth of the organization because everyone is a customer. So whether you're doing it yourself as an IT uh, leader or whether you're doing it uh, with a consultant, but it's very important to understand what everyone in the organization wants and then build, you know, your strategy and plans around it. Again, you know, the message don't sit in the ivory tower. And I think very importantly in both the examples that you gave towards the end, uh, you know, sometimes we hold the consultants accountable for what they are not accountable for, or, you know, we just went out on them. And and I think that's, you handled it uh, supremely well, but I think the right way to do that is to, you know, to respect the competence that you did, you know, when you stood your ground and did not budge. And then also, I think you know, when the person was unreasonably uh, firing you because of an operational issue. So anyways, so good learnings, uh, Dr. Boris. Let me come to my uh, next area that I'm interested in. What, how are you transforming IT at uh, Photobox? How are you approaching technology transformation? So, you know, tell us how you went about it and, uh, and, and what kind of learnings are you bringing from your consultant career into this? And how is it being, you, are, you of course talked about how owning the outcomes, you know, going the whole hog with whatever you are consulting, uh, you have to convert it into action plan. So what is different from your consultant career into this IT leadership role? Well, I'm not sure if, if that's all that's different. Um, you're just uh, suddenly becoming uh, accountable for, for certain things and you are of course getting in touch with a lot of topics which you will not uh, see as a consult but uh, I, I think here the, the thing is very interesting when i developed the it strategy together with the uh, then later cio of autobot i was still working as a consultant for it Carney. so with a very small team, just myself and a junior colleague, we worked with 80 plus people on the Autobox side and more than two thirds of those have been on the business side. And I think that's very similar to the chemical example I gave earlier. So we really wanted it to be business driven. So actually what we call an IT strategy more correctly is a business transformation by means of technology. Um, this is then what we uh, also implemented or are, are still working to implement. It's not all complete yet, but we wanted to make sure it's deeply embedded in the business organization. So the first uh, activity we had started of the, of the IT strategy is founding a business process management department outside IT actually, which uh, should help all the other business functions to, to align their processes and uh, get them to, to a new level. And uh, we would uh, work on the IT side to complement this. 
So uh, that, that's a very good hand-in-hand -hand, uh, way to, to work with the business department. It's also we are working in such a way that for most of the business uh, initiatives, we are actually having the respective department leaders on the business side leading that project. So I think that's also an important thing. Don't try to solve all the worst problems from IT alone, but make sure you do it together with the right business. And yeah, I think doing so, uh, we are now really building a new digital core here, which means a new application landscape. But of course, also we are doing some IT internal things uh, from, from governance to processes, but also down to infrastructure, which would then uh, uh, support digital core in the future. Yeah, so this is this is very interesting, uh, Dr. Boris, and like connects with my own experiences. You talked about digital core, building a digital core. Tell us a little bit more about it. What does this core consist of? Of course, um, Autobox still largely is a manufacturing company, but as I said as well, it's a patient care organization. So we are basically having manufacturing and service industries in ourselves together. And what we are uh, really structuring here is a set of leading uh, applications centered around ERP system, some PLM, HR system, manufacturing system and the like and really trying to uh, harmonize with these applications, uh, the business processes, harmonizing data structures, bringing it all into a consistent flow. And also, and I think that's pretty typical for family-owned mid-sized companies, which have grown rapidly over the last couple of decades, that you have so many applications which are redundant and just local, and we are trying to harmonize that as we move forward and really therefore uh, generating uh, this harmonization which will speed up all the processes from logistics uh, up to finance if you wish okay uh, no that's that's really uh, insightful and you know sort of somewhere uh, resonates with what you know i had done when 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 we started digital transformation was about you know first building that digital foundation you know so if digital transformation is a 50-story building, typically, as you said, you know, in a family-owned business, I know typically the IT spawns in different uh, parts and various discrete systems. It's, I would say, a foundation for a four-story building. You can't build a 50-story building on that foundation. So you really need to revamp it, reinvent it, you know, take a process-based approach to connect these systems, maybe modernize some of them, modernize your infrastructure. And, and I really like the concept that you brought out of building a digital core. So before you go for all the you know latest in the market terms in doing your IT, I think we first need to uh, build that digital code. So very, very important uh, aspect. And the other thing that I really noticed was, you know, you're talking about, you know, setting the IT house in order in terms of governance, uh, governance processes and all of that. And again, you know, I again picked up on your previous one, which is going and talking to all the business functions, understanding what they want, and then building your strategy on top of that. And another one is like, you know, putting the, the division head or the head of the function in charge of that transformation instead of IT trying to do it. So I think these are some really uh, good takeaways that I see, Dr. Boris. Now, you know, it's interesting to see that you have a symbiotic relationship between CIO and CDO. In our previous chats, uh, you know, we have discussed about the whole conundrum or confusion around having a CIO under a CDO or a CDO under a CIO, you know, a CDO who takes care of everything or a CIO who takes, so, you know, all kinds of permutations and combinations have been uh, out there in the market. 
and when i was talking to you last time it was nice and you know refreshing to see that you know that both are both the functions are there and working very harmoniously together so talk to us about you know what are the roles and responsibility what kind of collaboration mechanisms are there and how both of you are taking the organization forward both it function and the digital function take the organization forward yeah so basically uh, when we developed that uh, it strategy at the same time we developed the so called digital agenda so there was a joint project and early on the decision was taken to to split those two functions where it would essentially take care of all the internal autobox functions digitizing processes and uh, all the things i described before while the cdo would uh, really work on new business models uh, in particular working closely with our customers uh, which are patient care providers um, clinics and the like um, and that is then really a new thing outside the line organization while it really has to move the heavy ship if you wish and Uh, in the end IT always has to make sure uh, that the IT operation works and uh, there there is of course that that risk of IT uh, if it fails uh, everybody will notice if it works nobody notices yeah? and uh, that that's a different playing field uh, than the uh, more adventurous CDO side where where you try completely new things and uh, since it's so new failure is a different thing as uh, holding up your uh, operations yeah stopping your manufacturing stop delivering goods etc that that's a whole new thing huh? so so i think that's really the slower and bigger thing on the it side and the more dynamic thing on the cdo side um, and they are basically pretty free uh, in in what they do little limitations only but uh, in the end we are providing some common infrastructure etc yeah so um that that's the link and of course we are exchanging ideas uh, for sure yeah but uh, basically it's an independent organization okay no that's interesting to uh, note and i really liked what you said about you know the the failure i mean the experimentations and the failures so you know while it provides that solidity or you know that operational resilience for the entire organization the digital organization which is like you know trying to put various pets trying to do experiment and you know just in case you know uh, something fails that's okay because they need to they need to do those experiments right so at this point i am uh, requesting everyone to ask your questions i still i do see some comments out there there is an interesting comment about uh, consultants <laughs> you know, maybe I'll 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 respond to that. Uh, but uh, guys, uh, all our listeners, so if you want to have ask any questions to Dr. Boris or me, uh, please do that. Uh, except to Manish, uh, you know, I need a job. Please help me. Please put that as a personal message on the chat <laughs> on my chat instead of on this live. So, um, uh, but before we uh, go on to the questions, uh, Dr. Boris, I, and I, I had parked this for you know time availability. So let me ask. you since we do not have many questions out there talk to us about you know your apnea diving uh, experience what is it like how do you prepare for it and you know what what really pulled you towards that well uh, 
I would say it happened by accident. So uh, okay. I've been scuba diving before. We were in Egypt preparing for a night dive, waiting for the sun go down. And someone just brought a newspaper saying that a famous German free diver uh, would come to, to the area to do some training for new world records. And uh, I was joking, well, probably I can hold my breath for like 20 seconds if I stretch. And and we, we had a good dive teacher on board and said, okay, sun isn't down anyways, so let's give it a try. And and we started and uh, I, I somehow managed a minute, which is just nothing, but uh, at least it, it was beyond my expectations. So a couple of days following in the hotel pool, I, I tried more and more, brought it two and a half minutes, this is still nothing but just trying for myself i think that was uh, getting me a bit excited about it so um i um, did an apnea diving course then and then went, went to training sessions and it extended that still only for a level which is okay but far away from from any any professionals or or people who would uh, go to competitions N never did it that far but just did it more for fun so in a way it is like snorkeling on steroids so instead of going five meters down you go 20 or so and, and and for longer this kind of thing so it was more of a bit fun trying it out and learning how to uh, relax the body in a way which which allow you to consume less oxygen and therefore hold your breath longer and stay longer and it, it calms you down during diving and I think that's the nice experience and also of course it, it's kind of the real thing if you dive without equipment it's it's a very natural thing so that's kind of uh, a cool experience but again uh, never made it to any professional levels in that area well that's fine but but what is it like you know going 20 meters down where I think the atmospheric pressure is like I think two times what it is when we are right now and well, actually, uh, uh, 20 meters three times uh, the surface three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. getting you to, to kind of three bars down there and uh, I think my best was 25.7 or so meters, my single best uh, attempt. But actually, um, it's totally different from scuba dive. Uh, with scuba diving, you are breathing compressed air and, and that adjusts to the uh, pressure outside. And, and that's the difference, as you just said. If you just go down on a single breath, you don't change that. So uh, your body just gets compressed, in particular those areas where normally uh, you have air in. So, so basically, uh, the lung, I mean, in the head, there's also air, but that you can't compress the head to be honest <laughs> the skull wouldn't love that i guess so so it's essentially uh, the lung getting uh, heavily compressed there but on that level not as bad there are people who go down way beyond 100 meters that's a different story and requires way more professionalism than than i ever could have achieved myself yeah so uh i i should share with you after you told me about uh, the apnea diving i really got interested what is this apnea diving and i started doing some googling around it and uh, what i came to know was like really awe inspiring i mean i think it was a russian lady uh who was really a pioneer in that and it, it's unfortunate that she got lost at sea while she was diving you know just for fun without any uh, support and all but you know it really uh, opened a new uh, area of knowledge to me so uh, we have started getting some comments here uh, dr boris so surya mentions that all of us has, have had one teacher who has changed our career path glad that dr pivinger recognized and acknowledged this great discussion so any other teacher anything else which you remember Well, thanks, Surya, for, for bringing that up. I, and I, I really think there are those few things which you can remember for your life. And, 
and I think that math teacher has been one. And of course, in consulting, you meet quite a few people on the consulting side which influence you heavily and you learn a lot from them. But it's more the combination of various people here, not that single one. But I think that Tom Carney sentence about the essential ripeness is a very important one for myself still now that I left the company. But as they say, once Carney, always Carney. So so it changes the way you think to some extent. So that's that's definitely an important one. But sure. but definitely many more things, more the smaller things in life. And, and oftentimes not that single thing you can cite here, which is it, but a combination of what you learn from your parents, your teachers, your colleagues, sometimes your competitors and, and others. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's one, the first comment coming from Patsati, the one solve the information cost equation in any system at any level they engage are called consultant. <laughs> I think I have seen this actually. I want to respond to that because I have... Uh, handle this yeah what used to happen in the organizations earlier was that information always used to be a domain or you can say ownership of each and every department everybody carried their own information in their silos and uh, there was not a free flow of uh, information and you know i think one of the things that i wouldn't say only consultants but even the technologists that they do is they they, they basically break these silos and and help the free flow of information for for everyone to uh, you know take good decisions i, I right. think you you say, said uh something very important here breaking the silos if you talk about information or data it really you need to think from one end to the other and that doesn't stop at department boundaries and that that is really the key thing you need to change in any organization uh, which works in silos as most do and if that's called a consultant i don't know uh, oftentimes it's his consultants who come in here but you can call them as you like but um, i i think that, that needs to be one of your core principles for that Absolutely, absolutely. So there's another question here from uh, Vijay. He asked that after background in something as demanding as mathematics, how do you keep yourself updated? Any recommendations on courses? Easy answer, no. I, I think really, if you, you look at my career, I haven't learned IT in a way that I studied it. I took courses, something. I learned it on the go, if you wish, and, and consulting, management consulting, that is, uh, not technology consulting, that, that works differently. But management consulting, you are basically getting into projects where you have not full comprehensive knowledge and with every project you do you gain experience you learn new concepts there are always more senior people somewhere in the organization around you which help you to just learn a new thing and uh, well when you do your first IT strategy um, you have no clue what to do but someone has a framework how to do it gives you a hint and then you bring in what you know you, you learn on the go and uh, I, I think if, if you follow people in IT management, there are oftentimes not that obvious or straight careers, but people who have learned it on the streets, if you wish. Yeah, it's, uh, and not not at university oftentimes. I, I don't think it courses. Of course, it's not wrong to, to read a book on one or the other topic. Certainly, I've read one or the other, but not many, to be honest. I think the one book I learned most about IT was, I think the English title is The Phoenix Project, uh, where talk about DevOps. I, I think that uh, book really changed my way of thinking but no, I, I didn't take uh, a lot of course. Okay, yeah, in fact, uh, you know, that is again uh, you know, one of the themes that I talk about in the Clarity Chat purpose that there aren't enough, uh, the subject is new, there aren't enough 
university courses there aren't enough professors who will tell you how to manage all the complexities of technology best and uh, therefore you have to learn from people who have done it before so very important it becomes very important and i i think you would agree uh, dr boris to you know to network with the leaders and to you know keep connected with how people are solving uh, problems with technology and i liked your approach where you said you know that there will always be a problem that we would we would have to solve and as a leader i think we have to look look for what are the best tools and what are the best methods to solve that problem and you know just go around and figure that out because you won't always have ready made knowledge or the same but uh, that was a great question now we have another question coming from tapasi what traits are important for being a good it leader Hey, I am your podcast host Jagdish Belwal. I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE. Now, as an advisor, I help organizations transform with technology. Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it: leadership, strategy, culture, change management, etc. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. For now, keep listening. and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on linkedin well if if you follow my experience and i'm super biased obviously yeah uh, from my own experience but I, but i hope that's uh, what what you want to hear from me i came from top management consulting and i first worked the operations practice of atitani and no, not in it i uh, joined it several years in consult so i've seen the other side and i think that's that key if you understand what business really is about and business needs then you can answer how to provide the right IT to support the business. If you just understand technology and you don't understand your customers, i.e. the business departments, you, you will never manage to really deliver value to the organization. And I think that's that's the key thing, which is specific to as you say, IT leader. Everything else about leadership, I, I think, is not different for an IT leader and any other leader in the organization. But I think that that one thing I would call the most important one. Yeah. I would second you uh, on that, Doctor Boris. That you know, you need to know your business, you need to know your customers. And uh, so, I've had many incidences. You know, a business leader comes to my office and says that you know, here's my problem, and I want to solve it. And I would say, you know what? First, I want to visit yours. So I remember this incident where uh, you know this was a problem about tools calibration in a manufacturing company. There are like some I know thousands of tools, and and there has to be a calibration schedule for them. Uh, something is once a month, something is once in three months. and and so on and and then you know you need a a complete orchestration mechanism to get them back get them calibrated something inside something outside lead times are there and then you have to build a buffer and all of that and i did not give them a solution and i said listen i want to i want to first to visit you and understand how it happens so i visited them and spent about maybe about 2 hours just looking at you know various calibration equipment what were their existing processes what kind of forms they were filling up what kind of registers they were maintaining and you know so what kind of excels were they There, what kind of reports they were bringing out? So it's like you know, I can say a complete absorption process uh, of the process itself, and then I could actually uh, create a good sense of you know what the problems are in the current process and what kind of technologies uh, we want to bring in. So yes, you know, just simply resonated with uh, my own view of knowing the business, knowing the customer, and and first and getting a first-hand understanding of all the problems that are out there. So Dr. Boris, uh, there are some you know questions which I ask many of my you know guests. you have answered actually most of them so there was one on uh, 
you know the business IT relationship. You know, there's this whole question of business IT relationship. So as 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 you have stepped into the IT leadership role, how do you manage that? Because many a times there are conflicts, there are disagreements, there are conflicts. You know, what you recommend is not something that will be acceptable by them. Many a times, you know, somebody has hard has done some hard selling to them where they are like hung up on I want this, and uh, so how do you how do you how do you handle the the conflicts and the disagreements aspects of managing the relationship with business? Well, there are things you can solve and things you can't solve, right? At some point, you have to say, okay, if I have a solution to offer and the one responsible for the business function doesn't want it, it doesn't help, then you don't do it. That can happen. But as I described earlier, those projects which come successful are those where the respective business leader takes the responsibility for the project. And uh, IT is playing their role, but um, it's, it's not in the drivers. And um, that leads to success because you talked about the ROI uh, in your introduction. And honestly speaking, most companies are not able to measure that. So interesting to see how, how, how you get to 17%. But if you don't even have the ability to measure how, how you figure it out, and that's where that's true for most organizations. So there's a felt result. You believe it's a success, yes or no, but you can't really put it in numbers. That, that's true for most organizations across industries. I've seen. In that situation, it's even more important that those who are then responsible to deliver results project which is then something like internal efficiency or uh, it is something uh, like additional revenues whatever it is it's always business side being accountable for that and if they are not in the driver's seat it, it will not happen yeah? so uh, I, I kind of repeat myself here but that's the key thing and if you have a great idea about a project the organization really needs but the organization doesn't want it to happen well, don't try. You will fail. If you're not able to convince them, and, and I basically come back to, to what uh, Tom Carney said, just let me repeat that second part of the sense, our capacity for convincing those in authority that it is good. If And it doesn't matter if you are an IT manager internal or a consultant from the outside, if you don't manage to convince those in authority, it's not going to happen. Yeah, so I think I can I can thread it all together, you know, as it's, it's, a, it's a golden word, I should say you know capacity to convince those in authority and uh, i think that of uh, that capacity to convince would come from your own in-depth knowledge understanding empathy of your own business function you know what the problems are you know have you talked exactly. to enough people in that you know in that function do you know enough about them to get to, to be able to convince them and i think it is very very consistent with whatever i've heard from you today dr boris that you know get out there you know get in the trenches you know get friendly with the soldiers understand all their problems and then only you are able to develop that point of view or that recommendation you know with good amount of capacity to convince those in authority because they don't know that deep into the organization they probably don't have the time to do that right so i we have uh, the questions are not ending and we have well uh, i just wanted to uh, also repeat one of the things that you said that the roi is always coming from business uh, people for whom you are doing the project they are accountable for getting the roi so you have to put them in the driver's seat and some Something I told before in one of the clarity chats. 
and and I can repeat it here is that you know we have to celebrate them when success comes or we have to put them on the pedestal we have to celebrate them and that motivates lot many more business managers and leaders to you know work with IT and create success and yes I fully agree with you it's they who will do who will use what you have, what you have done for them and and create success uh, you you cannot do that so it's better to kind of be followers to them even while you know doing whatever you can do. So probably we'll. Uh, I'm just conscious of the time here, so we'll take one last question from Vijay. Says, how do you evaluate a proposal from an IT vendor? You can just bring some principles here, Doctor Woods, instead of getting into the specifics of success factors, etc. Well, pretty straightforward to be honest. The key thing is that you do understand before you start looking for a vendor what your requirements. Most of them are functional. Uh, Non-functional are a hygiene factor, but uh, the functional requirements make that difference. And I I think the hardest part, Vijay, in that question is that it's not good enough to see a marketing presentation of SAP in that case or IBM in your example and and then say, oh, what they tell me sounds about right. That's not good enough. You need to really sit down and understand what you want from a system and ideally you are also able to foresee what you will want to do with the system in the not too far future. So how will it change your organization and what will it do to your existing process lens in particular? If you introduce something like success factors in your example here um, and you have so far only local HR systems, what will happen to these local systems? Will they be replaced? Will they be amended? Yeah. Will success factors help you harmonize your global HR processes? These kind of things uh, you need to understand in the beginning. And if if you have that understanding, and it will never be perfect, but uh, it it should be very reasonable. Then you can go out and look at okay, how do the various vendors actually support uh, your use? That's it. And then yeah. comes all the non-functional stuff and the legal and the commercial, and you have it. I, I think I think very important. You know, it is not good enough to give a good marketing presentation but you know one it is one part of it is from your side are you clear about what you want from technology or are you like doing it as you know some sort of a vanity project that I have everybody else is doing success factors so I'm also doing success success factors many times it happens that way and and, you know sometimes it it happens not from the IT side but you know it's a business leader who looks at other business leaders in other organizations his peer group and says that I also need to do that so I have come across that kind of situation and you know then of course we had that chat what kind of KPIs we want to improve what kind of processes we want to transform and and all of that but yeah sometimes it's our job to bring that clarity and very importantly from a you know partner point of view how well you understand the customers no pain points or the customers objectives I think that has more importance than you know just better features and you know your own marketing so that brings us towards the end of clarity chat today with Dr. Boris Pivinger thank you everyone Uh, I just I'm just bringing up your thank yous here Parthasa Manish, Deepak. There are two Deepaks out there. And uh, yes, a big thank you to everyone for attending this and asking some really nice questions and bringing out, you know, some more pearls of wisdom from Dr. Boris. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Boris, for taking out time for Clarity Chat and, and being with us here. Wow. What an insightful and different discussion with Dr. Boris. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Please subscribe to Clarity Chat Podcast. It's available on all major podcasting platforms. In our next, that is fifth podcast, I will host Ms. Kalpana Maniar, former group CIO of Edelweiss and now a full-time volunteer of Visha Foundation. 
Watch out for our next Clarity Chat podcast with Kalpana Maniar. Mm-hmm.